Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get into it with our panel. It's the Monday edition. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Introducing Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. Good afternoon, Adrian. Great day for talk radio, John. It is not a good day for the folks in Oshawa, as we've been hearing all day. And uh, to that point, we'll pick up on that as one of the topics worthy of discussion for the most part. Mike Van Solen joins us as well, principal at Navigator. How's Mike? I'm doing really good, John. Good to be here. Thank you for coming in. By the way, Jerry Diaz was with us last hour. He's a president of Unifor. He said... They're going to fight tooth and nail to stop this closure from taking place. We met with GM today, and I'm here to tell you in what we told them. They are not closing our damn plant without one hell of a fight. All right. Well, uh, I was kind of curious, and I asked him about that, and so he suggested that if he could get the brethren and cistern from the UAW stateside, because some plants are closing in the states as well, and if everybody showed solidarity and walked out, I guess, you know, kind of the wildcat situation or shut those plants down, they'd get GM's attention. Do you think that's a Hail Mary pass that would even work in the most, uh, well, the most outrageous or wildest of scenarios, Adrian? Well, it's not going to work, but it is the Hail Mary pass that every union leader has to give to their to their base. I mean, Jerry Diaz has to be perceived as looking to fight. He has to be perceived as looking at every ob- avenue, every opportunity to ensure that um, workers that he represents are stayed em- that stay employed. The challenge, of course, is if they were to do this mass walk off and and on both sides of the border, those workers are replaced. And I'm not saying that they're easily replaceable, but they can be replaced. And that's scabs. A, well, sure. And so I appreciate the rhetoric. I appreciate the rah-rah. Um, but the other side to this narrative, of course, even though it's it's a bad news story, taxpayers have been on the hook for billions of dollars bailing out General Motors for the last far too many years. That has all been discussed. I think we can, you know, take good um, you know, economic uh, sort of history into this. And maybe this is something we have to consider long term when we are looking at things like corporate welfare. But there is that human component to it. There are thousands of families. There are thousands of uh, dollars that would have gone into the economy. Mortgages, all of those, that human side with it, which I think, by the way, Premier Ford touched on very well today in, in his discussions and his um, and when he was speaking about this. But this is um, the other side. General Motors is actually having uh, is creating a thousand more jobs in the city of Markham. And so they actually have on their side of the narrative something positive to talk about, even though this is very devastating overall. So in the end, it maybe might be a wash as far as the job loss. Uh, but I think there is very little chance, very little chance that there is any hope in hell of this plant staying open in Oshawa. All right, well, you, you uh, alluded to Doug Ford. He says he understands how hard this must be, and he wants to help those who are being given pink slips. I want to tell those families, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to do everything I can. I'll give you my cell number. 
you ever want to see me i'll be out there constantly because i care for those people and we have to be compassionate for the people that are facing this you know it's it's very very tough for them all right uh, but you know buzz hargrove just joined us prior to you guys coming right. in here and uh, the past president of the canadian auto workers when i asked him about fighting this because jerry Diaz sort of threw down the gauntlet Mike Van Solen, he suggested just uh, Ontario has in their toolbox the potential to shut out GM product from being sold in the province. I wasn't sure how that would work exactly. He brought it up. Do you think that would be a viable way of fighting this? I don't know if that endears you to Detroit uh, and the GM head office when you start threatening to boycott their products already. Look, it is a sad day, and I'm glad to see uh, union leadership fighting for it. That's what they should do. Um, I was also really happy to see the premier express some uh, sympathy for the workers who find themselves in this situation, uh, right away championing uh, what sort of programs and supports could be put in place. There's two ways for a political leader to look at this. Are they going to say, you know, GM, come, let's talk. Uh, you know, I want you to stay here. Maybe I'll cut you a check. Let's let's talk about what's required to get this done. Or you kind of look at reality in the face and you say, look, I'm going to protect my workers. There's nothing I can do to change the economics uh, that uh, of the situation. Uh, Ford, uh, our GM, has made its decision and I, I'm uh, you know, I'm of the belief that there's probably nothing we can do to change their mind and if we were to do something, sweeten the pot so much that they change their mind, it would probably be a mistake to do it. Um, well, and, that brings me to Andrea Horvath. Sorry to interject, yeah. but she's, you know, been critical of Doug Ford, saying he's rolled over so easily. I'm kind of curious what she potentially could see as an answer that he doesn't have, uh, you know, and besides, if it meant sweetening the pot, she'd be critical of her own policy two months down the road. She's talking about nationalizing it. That's what she means. I mean, I'm going to read between the lines for her. Mm. She's talking about nationalizing because that's what the NDP wants, right? Nationalizing part of General Motors? Yeah, Okay. It's insane. Uh, I know well, it's insane. Well, well, it's hard to fathom. But this is when you listen to what she actually had to say. Mm-hmm. And she talked about putting all these other potential options on the table. And then she was, frankly, I think, I, I, I've always liked Ms. Horvath. I philosophically disagree with her on pretty much everything. But I've always thought that she had a, you know, a very good way of being uh, an opposition leader that has tried to hold, hold governments accountable, particularly during the time of the liberals. But one of the things I noticed today, she lost me. Um, and I think she lost a lot of people when she said that the provincial government has done nothing over the course of the last few months. Um, we wanted to know who their autos are was. They wouldn't tell us. No one gives a rat's rear end about an autos are. What they care about is what the province said and did in order to try to make an environment good enough for a company like GM to stay. And Doug Ford, the premier, just finished laying that all out. And then she goes on and says, well, they didn't do enough. Give me a break. Her view, her worldview would be to nationalize some sort of auto sector, just like Justin Trudeau bought a four and a half billion dollar dud of a pipeline. The NDP would love to see this as a sort of a national nationalized program. It's it's wrongheaded. It's irresponsible. It's expensive and it should never happen. All right. Maybe to protect the union jobs. There's some white collar jobs that are being lost here as well. Everybody tends to forget about that. Well, all right. Uh, And as a former colleague used to express this, uh, the sacred auto worker, why are they the beneficiaries of all the bailouts and the protectionism and so on and so forth when other industries are also hurting? I mean, last week while I was away, apparently the government decided they're going to earmark $600 million to us. 
Yeah. Print, print media. For well, I mean all media. I mean we're all uh yeah, we're 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 that uh desperate that you, we are gonna you need both, you both must be really happy this morning. I can hear here's what I can pretty much assure you. I've heard that there's gonna be some sort of um panel to decide who is actually qualified for this. Mm. Because if it's anything like the summer jobs program from the liberals mm. <laughs> I can tell you, Sun Media is not getting a dime. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, uh, maybe they'll call me because we do this panel thing every weekday afternoon at this time. Yeah, you'll, you'll be qualified with an asterisk with the John Oakley show. Well, no. Yeah, it'll be my asterisk. All right. Uh, let's come back and discuss more topics worthy of discussion. Mike Van Solen, Adrian Batra, Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It's a devastating blow to all of Durham region, really. It's devastating. It just It's absolutely horrible. We all here to make a make a living, feed our families. You know, that's uh, bad news. They're the best workers in the industry. They're the best workers in General Motors, and this is the reward they get. GM shares went up five percent today. If you can imagine, they announced economic carnage, and the shareholders are happy, and their board of directors is thrilled. All right, let's get back into it. There are many topics worthy of discussion apart from the situation in Oshawa. You know, uh, when we were just talking about that, Adrian Batra from The Sun is here. Mike Van Solen from Navigator. It was uh, rationalized by the CEO of GM, Mary Barra, saying that uh, we're taking this movement uh, or transformation to be highly agile, resilient and profitable while giving us the flexibility to invest in the future. And I'm thinking to myself, she's not necessarily alone. you got a situation now with a post office. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know, the Senate now is uh, looking at the legislation that may just see this go to mediation. Uh, the union there, Cup W, is not happy about it. They think this can be settled at the negotiating table. As you know, we ramp up for the heavy parcel season and so on and so forth. Is the post office potentially another casualty of consumer preference and, uh, again, the, the thrust to agility, resilience, and profitability, Mike? Yeah, well, the the post office is interesting because it's an anachronism in some ways. Uh, you know, of course, the mail delivery is uh, largely going the way the dodo bird, but they're getting a second life with all these e-commerce and that we're all doing, and as we're going into this Christmas season. I always think when we get to this point in a strike, though, we, we see how the political motivations and, and the organization itself, their motivations sort of, there's, they're at cross purpose. Because as, an, as a union, I don't understand why you wouldn't accept the mediation. It gets your workers back to working and earning money, and they tend to do better in mediation. And as a government, you should actually let them sweat it out on the picket line, stand around their oil drums in the fire, and, um, and think long and hard about what they want out of the negotiation. Because... Uh, as an employer, you tend to do better if you let them string it out. But uh, this gets all turned on its head now in this time. Uh, there's some pressure on the politicians to see it resolved. People want their Christmas cards to be delivered. Uh, so here we find ourselves. All right. But the general sense is that maybe Cup W, the union, is shoveling sand against the tide. The inevitability is this is uh, something of an anachronism. Or am I reading it wrong? The post no. office. No, I don't think you're reading it wrong at all. But look, the post office is like so many of our industries. We just finished talking about print industry and the much I'm in. We've all been, there's so many of us have been Ubered. You know, we weren't ready for it. We weren't prepared for it. We couldn't, we couldn't um, recognize what was coming down the road with the online and this. But 
Um, this is actually, when you sort of think about it from a sidebar perspective, is an extraordinary opportunity for the retail, the mom and pop shops and the retail stores, the uh, bricks and mortar that still exist. You know, you can physically go into a store almost to like thwart and to spite Canada Post and buy your packages, buy your stuff um, in in person. But it's not realistic when you have family everywhere and you want to send something to somebody. But um there is going to remain to be a private sector solution that is going to, even though Mike actual, um, accurately pointed out this has been beneficial to the post office, the new e-commerce, there's going to be a private sector solution that goes one more step over top of that, especially when Amazon brings in drones, because they are. Mm. And um, this is also, I would say, and I know <laughs> this may shock some of your readers or your listeners, <laughs> excuse me, Um I am obviously very critical of the Trudeau government. I do not think that the Trudeau government is going to expend one ounce of political capital by doing a right uh, back to work legislation. Not one. Really? Yeah. All right. I don't so, think so one right now, ounce of political capital will be burned from bringing them back. I see. Well, we'll wait and see because it, it seems like it's just a matter of, you know, another day or so. Right. It's, it's going to be less than 24 hours back by noon tomorrow. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this is a government that came in and, and you know, the, the previous Harper government had done a lot of work to force some modernization on Canada Post, you know, including the neighborhood mailboxes, which everyone hates. And it was the Trudeau government when they first came in that put a halt to all that, sort of feeling the political heat. And so here we have an organization that still continues to lose money year over year. And even though they've been helped in some ways by changing sort of consumer behavior, um, the trend, like uh, some other sectors, the trend is not the friend of uh, the postal worker. All right. Well, you mentioned the Trudeau government. Uh, They could stand up and make a very loud and clear statement on another situation that is embroiling uh, our friends to the south of us. We'll see if you'd be in support of that. But I wanted to talk about the government intervening in a different way. Stateside, you're seeing this caravan of migrants, so it's been called. Uh, and Donald Trump has deemed it an invasion, which is interesting because I was talking to somebody who uh, had embedded themselves for six days with this caravan down in Mexico. And uh, according to this individual who reports for another organization, He said that uh, a lot of these people are talking up Canada if they're denied entry to the United States. Now, I don't know how they leapfrog the United States, you know, the contiguous United States of America into Canada here. But uh, what do you make of this, first of all, that Donald Trump has decided to send the army down? There was tear gas being fired in their general direction when they tried to storm the barricades the other day, yesterday, I guess. And uh, so that's kind of a shocking development. Is this going to turn into another uh, Alan Curdy kind of a thing, you know, where the imagery of kids weeping because of the tear gas and everything will soften hearts? Uh, how do you see this one, Mike Van Solen, playing out? I'm glad we're all in agreement that it's a caravan, at least. So we've at least established uh, established what to call it. Look, I think it is concerning. And if the government, you know, I understand the United States, leave the Donald Trump part to the side for the moment. I understand the United States wanting to deal with this issue uh, in a real and meaningful way, because you've lived in those borders communities. And if those sort of groups of people kind of get to continually come up, come up, come up through, there doesn't seem to be a system to vet the, the people who are coming in, making sure that they can possibly contribute to the, the United States economy. Uh it, it, it is it is something that has to be dealt with, and, and I think it will only continue. We've seen uh, some sort of breakdown of the social fabric in, in, in Europe as a result of sort of not being able to sort of manage immigration in an effective way. And this comes from, and you know, we, don't, we don't have to all say it, you know, but, you know, we all believe in immigration is critical, and it's, it's certainly been critical in this country. Um, 
But I don't think Donald Trump is wrong in trying to get a handle on on it in that country because it has been problematic. It is a, a real challenge in those in those communities. And um, uh, politically, I think if if they're not able to sort of have a robust, more robust border, uh, it, this will be a problem that only exa- is only even more dramatic and, and dr- more draconian measures will only be required down the road. All right, and so uh, you know, using tear gas, justifiable, Adrian? By sure. the way. Absolutely. Look, no one has a right to go into your country. No one has a right to storm your border. But do you think it'll be be spun uh, in a way that makes it look like this is really hard hearted? Of course it will be. Of course it will be, because you already saw the narrative today where you saw the mother carrying her child running away from where the the tear gas is being hit. But that is always going to happen under a Donald Trump presidency. It doesn't matter if they threw bouquets of flowers at them. It's still going to look like it's going to be um, so so hard and vociferous and angry. And But I would say to you, in spite of there being a, a, an extraordinary amount of distaste for President Trump in certain factions of the United States, there is still a part of them that are, this is our country. We want to keep, to keep it safe. We want smart immigration. Smart immigration. Mm-hmm. One thing that they that people find an uncomfortable fact, and I will be happy to bring it up, is you know what they used to call Barack Obama? They used to call Barack Obama, who probably would let the you know the barbarians at the gate and let them fight, break it down, and all the things. They used to call Obama the deporter in chief. He deported more illegals, more people that weren't supposed to be in the in the United States than George W. Bush did, and that is and and what Trump I think is trying to prevent is that side of the equation. Don't let them in in the first place. Don't let them get here in the first place. And with, in addition to that, a lot of Americans are feeling the pinch. They know what happens when a number of illegals storm through. And why isn't anybody going to the other side of the border and asking the Mexican president, why are thousands upon thousands and thousands of people, of your people, trying to get out of your country? What is it that you're doing to try well, to fix your situation? They're using it as I think a, that's a fair question. Okay, Mexico is like a transitory or staging area yeah. because uh, most are from Guatemala, Honduras, and even El Salvador. Uh, and so by coming up... To the border, and it looks to me, this is the report too, it's a sort of orchestrated event. It's not just organically coming together. There are buses Mm -hmm. and transportation has been organized. And so it makes you wonder if there's something, a point or purpose behind this to embarrass Trump. Uh, You know, they're talking about, well, these people would ultimately vote Democrat if that's the long range plan. There's there's one aspect to this, I suppose, is the the Republican Senate. Um, could sort of look at this and say, all right, here's an opportunity for us. We see skills gaps. We see, see all these issues. But the fact is, there's no way of processing these people. There's no way of, like, actually getting a handle on who the heck they are. And, well, and, and they're even, even let alone what country they're coming from. Okay. Well, the question is, you know, because these are econo-migrants for the most part, I think the people who are reporting on this, when you talk about refugee claimants fleeing, you know, persecution or gang war down in these countries, uh, they're still econo-migrants for the most part. And that's what we've got coming into our country, too, right. in southwest and Quebec. So that's I'll get back to the original question is this person who told me, you know, uh, kind of uh, off the record, but not really, uh, that these people have mentioned to him when he was embedded there, they'd like to come to Canada if the option of the states is not availed to them. Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, do you think our door is uh, a little more porous than the American one at this stage? 
Well, are, are certainly our border is more porous, uh, so you can get a, if you if you're willing to put on a pair of running shoes and sort of uh, you know walk along, you you, you won't meet uh, much resistance here. We've had a great economic sort of based uh, immigration system in this country, so we do a great job, a better job in the United States, frankly, of trying to match the gaps in our economy uh, through the immigration system and bring people in uh, and and rate them as such. The U.S. Uh, has a whole bunch of different sort of rules around its immigration. We always hear about chain chain migration and and all these pieces, which I, I think make it, uh, you know, less effective as being an economic tool for that country. And then you get in, of course, migrants and, and refugees. And how do you have an effective way to sort of decide as a country, you know, as a successful country, Canada has a perspective on this. The United States should. Uh, how many, uh, you, you know, migrants, how many for humanitarian reasons, how many people do we appropriately allow into our economy, allow in our country? And you should only do that in a way where allow those people that you can realistically help, you know, find, get their footing and do it. Because uh, what you don't want to create is a whole group of impoverished people who you've not been able to successfully sort of bring into your country, help them get established with the tools that they need to be successful. Well, we still and have I that think, issue, though, with with the Syrian refugees who are we not We have that in the, Toronto. We yeah. have that in big parts of con- right. Canada right now. Right. Privately sponsored. The privately sponsored ones are okay, but otherwise the ones the government brought in the first tranche, I think, of 25,000. That's been problematic. I've got to ask you as a last order of business here and topic worthy of discussion, there's a new pilot project being Implemented in Toronto uh, as of November 1, actually, below uh, Bloor and between Spadina and the Don River. So divisions 51 and 52, the police divisions in these precincts, uh, people who are caught shoplifting for the first time will not be prosecuted. In fact, uh, the data will be retained, but it's a program called Shop Theft and privately employed theft prevention officers will release the accused after taking down name and uh, whatever school you attend, as long as they're 18. If they're minors, uh, I guess that's another thing. But they say this has been implemented in Peel for a lot of years and works. Adrian Batra, good idea, because what it really Mm -hmm. is symptomatic of is making it more efficient for police so they're not answering these calls and taking it off their books and putting it into, well, let's call it the private industry. Yeah, I I think it is. I think it's reasonable. I mean, it's not ideal, but it's far um, more um, efficient to let them go, take their information down and move forward than it is to actually prosecute them. So it will save money on one end. I know that private retailers will, um, many of them are covered by the insurance, so that's fine. Uh, I just can't imagine if this is, um, you know, Someone, some kid going in and stealing a chocolate bar or someone trying to go into a Best Buy and stealing a TV. I, I mean, I think there's degrees of this, but uh, this is not an unreasonable approach. All right. Or do you think it's going to encourage scoff laws, Mike? Well, it's so great to know that I got a mulligan before Christmas, right? And, they, and they've told me exactly where to go. Uh-huh. Um, you know, <laughs> my kids are going to do better than I, than I even... Ex- uh, I, I think it's funny just to communicate it. I, like, I think it's the type of thing that happens all the time. Yeah. I'm not quite clear why you you say hey we have a pilot it's it's between these streets and these streets anything less than a thousand dollars you're fine uh so i think it will encourage some scoff laws uh you know and some uh, some behavior that uh I, I would just sort of quietly just do the program and that would probably be my approach all right well uh there are civil remedies apparently there's another fly in the ointment that somehow if uh this is something of consequence you know the uh 
the shopkeeper could actually sue civilly for some kind of reparation being made. And that's uh, something we'll pick up with Julian Fantino. He's Global News Radio's crime specialist. He'll join us after 6 o'clock. Right now we're done for our segment, and that is topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. I appreciate your coming in on this dank and desultory Monday afternoon, but you always brighten my day. Thank you, Adrian Batter from The Sun, Mike Van Solen from Navigator. Great to be here. We'll talk again next Monday. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.